So last week, you got a phone hack, and hopefully you employed it, and you got significantly less telemarketer calls and spam calls. You're welcome. This week, I'm giving you a life hack. And this life hack, I would imagine, you have not seen on TikTok or on Instagram. This is coming fresh to you today. You're welcome for that too. The way that I want to tell you about this life hack in particular is by story and someone that I met once. When I met my friend uh, Larry, he was passed out. Like first time we met him, passed out unconscious on the floor. Because you're like, oh, so we're going BC days throwback to when you were an alcoholic. Uh, No, that actually happened here in this church. We were at Regeneration on a Monday night and uh, we're, we're kind of closing down around 9.45, 10 o'clock, and uh, it doesn't last that long, by the way, in case you're like, I'm never going. It lasts till 10? Uh, it's just people hang out and talk afterwards, which is awesome. We were in the loft, and I'm walking by, and the doors are kind of open, and I like peek in, and there is a guy laying on the floor from where we meet for groundwork. And we go in, me and another guy, Jack, and our security guy, Caesar. And we're like, hey, hey, are you, are you all right? Like, and clearly he wasn't. I'm like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And we kind of shake him a little bit. And, and eventually he says like, juice, juice. And so we bolt. We're like ripping open every fridge, trying to find anything. Uh, juice, his blood sugar crashed. He has type one diabetes. He went through regeneration and eventually became a leader multiple times over. And so yesterday we're at the regeneration leadership event in the fall and uh, we're sitting there, he and I, he's sitting in a chair beside me and we're just talking. I was like, Larry, Man, you remember when we first met? Like, how are you? And he goes, John, I am so blessed, just emphatically. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, no, you're not. Because what I see in Larry is his amputated right leg from diabetes, now with a steel titanium artificial foot that he walks on. His right eye clouded over because he's gone blind in his right eye. Um, Still has diabetes. In fact, the reason why he's sitting in the chair even talking to me is because his blood sugar clashed to to 50 or below, which is like medical level. They're like, hey, you got to sit down and people are tending to him and getting that blood sugar back up. And then I said, well, so how, how have you been? He's like, well, after the stroke. And I was like, stroke? When did that happen? And he's like, oh, September. I'm like, like a month ago? And yet out of his mouth came, I am so blessed. And he could say that because of the life hack that I'm giving to you today. He said that because he goes, John, (laughs) this is everything I ever wanted. This is everything I ever wanted in life. I now have. And he was gesturing to the body of Christ his brothers and sisters in Christ gathered around him who love him. As we're sitting there talking, somebody, somebody walks up. He's got his phone in his right chest pocket. Someone walks up from behind, takes out his pocket, pulls out his phone, starts doing this, and goes, puts it back in his pocket and goes, you're almost there, buddy, and just walks away. I go, what was that? He's like, oh, he's checking my blood sugar level. I mean, the level of care. He's like, you know, people in my condition, they don't, they don't have that. That's the love of Christ. And I go, well, Larry, you know what's amazing is you're now giving that to others. Like as a regeneration leader, you are now giving that ache of soul that you were longing for to not be alone and isolated. You're now giving that to others. Like you're that to them. He goes, John, what else would I do? What would even be the point of anything? Because of that deep sense of community 
that he has found in Christ. We were made for relationship. We were made for relationship. And until we put ourselves under the God-given relationships that he has established, we're just gonna be wandering and aching and in pain because every single one of us needs the body of Christ. And so I've got here on stage with me, um, this, this represents a roof. I'm, I'm not a carpenter, I follow a carpenter. So in case you're like, that is a bad roof. Uh, I know, I recognize that. I got splinters making it, but I needed a roof or something that would image that because God has given us three divine institutions and they appear in the Bible in this order, the family, the government, and the church. He's given us those three divine institutions that we might come under them to be sheltered and protected spiritually, relationally, that we would have these three divine institutions to care for us as we walk through life. And so as we walk through this made series, we now find ourselves at Made for Relationship, and where that is in the scriptures is Genesis 2, 18 through 20. I'm gonna read it to you now. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. He's talking about Adam. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every burst of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a suitable helper, a helper fit for him. And so when God says it is not good for man to be alone, thus God saw fit to make for man a home. And he did so with these three divine institutions that can create a shelter for him to not be alone. And two things, when he says not good, like not good for man to be alone, you're like, hold up. Like, I thought God was perfect. He doesn't like foul tip things or make mistakes. So what do you mean not good? Like in the creation account, he's like, he made light, it was good. Separated the heavens, sky from water, it was good. Plants, land, dry ground, good. Animals, good. People, good. Birds, good. Fish, good. Man, alone, not good. Like, did you, did you have a bad day? Like, what happened? It doesn't mean not good as in bad. It means not good as in incomplete. God's like, I'm not done yet. Like it is not gonna be good if Adam, who's made in my image, is alone. And therefore, he is in an incomplete state. So I'm going to give him a person. And so God gives him another. Now, if you're talking to Adam and you're like, so Adam, when he said it's not good for you to be alone and he gave you Eve, uh, that was for marriage, right? And Adam would say, yeah, that, that was for marriage. But when we read the scriptures, the totality of them, and we're looking at it, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. That was, yeah, it was marriage for Adam, but pregnant within that passage, pun intended, was that every person would have a person, that nobody would be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for anybody to be alone. But Adam being the first, and then Eve, and then from them begat every single person of the world so that every person would have a person because it is not good for any person to be alone. God sees that and so he has made these institutions for us to walk that way. Now, we're gonna jump ahead to Genesis 3.20 and it says, the man called his wife's name Eve, Hebrew word, because she was the mother of all living. From Eve, 
and the procreation of Adam and Eve became every person that, that no one would be alone. And just like side note here, like when it says um, a helper suitable for him or a helper fit for him, that's not a misogynistic thing like, okay, so women are subservient, second class, they're helpers. God himself in the scriptures gives himself the name helper. So there's this um, dynamic together, Adam and Eve not being alone together. This roof, um, a roof is a triangle shape generally. So a residential building, you've got a roof. The triangle is actually the strongest shape in geometry. The reason being, it cannot collapse in upon itself. Because of tension and compression, it can't fold in on itself like a, like a rectangle could. It can, it can like switch, switch either way, but a triangle is incredibly strong. And in this three-sided triangle that the Lord has given us in divine institution, it is strong for us. And each of the three institutions has a very significant purpose that we're going to walk through today because we were made for relationship. And so family will give us love. That's to counter loneliness. Government is created to give us order and to counter chaos. And then we have the church, which is given for our growth to counter immaturity. That's where we're going today. So to begin, family. The family gives love to counter loneliness. Now, this is a common grace of God. God has given, since Adam and Eve, every single person walking this earth, family. Now, there's different kinds, and there's a, there's a spectrum of, of whether you would say it was good or bad or easy or hard. There's different cultures, different dynamics, different structures within the family system. But God has given every single person a family. Even Osama bin Laden, you know, kind of like, someone we, we would not hold in high regard. God gave him a family, knowing everything that he would do. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a family. It is a common grace of God that he gives to all people who are walking this earth. It's a kindness of God that he gives us that we would experience love. There's love in marriage. That's where it all begins, right? You can't have a family apart from marriage. And so God gives us love in that. It's not a legal contract. They can go down to the justice of the peace, but biblically speaking, this is a covenant made in love, an unbreakable covenant because of love for one another. Not romantic Hollywood love, Ephesians 5 love, that a man would lay down his life for his wife, that he would have a covenantal, unbreakable love in marriage. And we're gonna cover this more next week. Um, next weekend is the Uncommon Marriage Conference. There are still some tickets available, very few, but to fill this place up, there's a few available. So if you wanna come November 4th and 5th, Uncommon Marriage Conference, and then TA is gonna do a deeper dive next week specifically on marriage. But if we're talking about family, we've gotta start there. Secondly, there's love in parenting and kids. And so God has modeled this for us, and now we see it in a family system where a parent is intended to provide for his kids. He is there um, to protect his kids. He is there to discipline his kids. That's Hebrews 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. But later, it yields a peaceful harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Now, if you ask my kids, hey, how's discipline at home? You like that? They'd be like, no. I asked my kids recently, two of them. I was like, hey, do you want to get spanked or do you want to lose media? No, like, lose media, lose media. I was like, really? Like, a spank is momentary. And they're like, and my oldest goes, especially if it's three. 
three spankings. But I've told them, I was like, hey, it's better that I discipline you than the world does. If I discipline you, I will discipline you because I love you. If you're not disciplined in my household, the world will discipline you and it will not be loving. It will not feel loving because the world doesn't love you. So if a father, a family provides that as well because of love and also discipleship, Deuteronomy 6, that we're supposed to go as we're walking, as we're talking, that we're talking about the things of the Lord and pointing children to Jesus. And then parents, the love that a parent receives from their kids, and this is described in, you get this in, in diapers and insomnia. That's how we, like, what do, what do we get? Now we get an incredible amount. Like, as a parent, you get Psalm 127 and 128 where it says children are a ward, a heritage, and a blessing. And even like, I remember our firstborn as I held him in the hospital and I'm, I'm crying over him. Not tears of joy. I was crying, pleading that God would save his soul. I had never before in my life longed for someone so much to be saved and not spend eternity in hell. Because God had given me this small like shadow glimpse of creating in my image, that he was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I was like, that is, oh my goodness. And that child gives me a further understanding of God's love for me. Like I can understand, uh, I see Jeremy right here, who, who when he prays, he says, daddy. Because he's got a good understanding of God's love for him. I know it, I went to seminary, I've read about it, I know the Bible, I know God loves me. I sometimes don't believe God loves me. Like that's one of the theologies where I'm like, wait, really? Like with all I've done and still do and the thoughts that I have, you love me? Like I wrestle with that still to this day. And yet it's true and he does. But it's not just marriage, parenting, or kids up to us. It's also that we parent up. So as we now as adults generally, we're gonna be parenting up and it says in Exodus 20 in the giving of the 10 commandments and then is repeated again, carried over in Ephesians. It says, honor your mother and father so that it would go well with you in the land. It's the first command with a promise. And so we are to honor them. They cared for us in our young age. Now we care for them in their older age. First Timothy 5, honor widows who are truly widows. Listen, here's the family unit. But if a widow, this is love for an aging parent, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. We are to show love in the family system by caring for our aging parents. Now, it's been said that people can relate much more to your failures than they can your successes. And so I, I'm venturing today to say, you know what, I'm gonna share some of my sin recently with you because I think if I do, it's gonna make it safe for everybody else here to be like, okay, well, man, if he can, when he's mic'd up, then I guess I can to my community group or to the person that I came with. I can share my sin and know that I can be forgiven in Christ. So recently it was with one of my kids sitting at the kitchen island. We're doing homework. We're into multiplication. He doesn't know multiplication yet, but we're learning. And uh, I'm like, hey, it's, it's three times 10. Like, he's just staring at the page. I'm like, so it's a grid. I'm like, there's three columns, or three columns, there's 10 rows. So it's just, it's just three times 10, like 10 
then 20, then 30. It's three times. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, how, what do you mean you don't know? Like, watch this, 10, 20, 30. Like there's, there's three rows of 10. You can even count them. You don't even have to multiply it. You can, you can count them. And at this point, he's like, dad, I don't understand. And starts to cry. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. No, we're not gonna cry. Hold on, look at this. It's, it's three and he gets up and just starts walking away. And I go, no, 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 no. No, sit down. We are doing your homework. And I exasperated my child. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And was not loving in that moment. I was not the family system which was there to create love and ascend against him. We were driving yesterday in the car and I said, hey, uh, I'm teaching tomorrow. I got a question. What's the most often used phrase in our family? And uh, one of them was like, can we go out to eat? I'm like. <laughs> and another one said, I love you. And I was like, that's right. I think we say that a lot. We don't just say it at night or in the morning. I said, what's the second? What do you think is the second most used phrase? Thought for a little bit. And the one that I sinned against with homework said, will you please forgive me? I'm like, you're right. You're right. And mom and dad say it a lot to each other and to you all, don't we? And they're like, yeah, and you guys say it to us, right? Yeah, because we sin against each other. But that doesn't mean we don't love each other. We're, we're gonna create, even in the family system that is there for love, we're gonna create mother wounds and father wounds. I don't know why nobody ever talks about children wounds, because that's real. But <laughs> somebody wrote a book about children wounds. <laughs> but uh, those wounds are there not because you're uh, not a perfect parent. Like there is one perfect parent and he is God and you are not. So at some level, it's kind of inevitable that you're gonna have a, a, a mother or father wound that you impart to your children, but it doesn't have to stay there. You can remove it if you repent from your sin and ask for their forgiveness. So you go and you say, hey, I, that was wrong. I didn't love you in that moment. Will you please forgive me? And then change, like ask the Lord to change you so you're not doing it on repeat. You model, when love is not modeled, you model forgiveness. This would be transformative as we talk about strengthening families this year as a strategic priority. Like, if we just loved and when we didn't love, we ask each other's forgiveness. Like, earth-shattering, home-changing. And I think some of you, though, you're, you're, you're hearing me de depict a family system and you're like, hey, I didn't get any of that. I practically raised myself, man. Broken family, divorced parents. I was abused physically. Had to stand up to my dad because of what he did to my mom. I started working before I could even work legally just to make ends meet. I had to buy the groceries. Like there's probably people in the room who are like, oh, you're, you're talking about, that's a unicorn. Like I didn't live that life. If that's God's intention, like I, he was asleep at the wheel when I got my family. And I wanna to say to you today that that pain is real to you and it's real to God. And if your family of origin is not what you wanted, you can have a family of destination that can be exactly what your heart has always longed for. A spiritual family. Though your physical family failed you, you can have a spiritual family in the Lord who never will. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what Larry said, I have been looking for this all my life. And so if your father failed you, today, today, 
you can have a perfect father as your own. But in order to have God as your father, you must have Christ as your brother. There is no other way. If you want God as your father, you must have Christ as your brother. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me, the son. But that if you place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then the father adopts you. That's the language the scripture uses. You are adopted in the father and then indwelt by the spirit and no one can snatch you out of his hands and he is perfect and he will provide for you and he will protect you and he will discipline you for good and holiness and he will disciple you and raise you up in Christ. That's the family system. The next is government, the next divine institution. Tell me if I'm, oh, I didn't. Is that it? Oh, it is. <laughs> you never know, I'm like looking at these things, I'm like, why does it say the word? I read it wrong. The next divine institution, and these go in scripture. So you've got Adam and Eve, there's the divine institution of family. In Genesis nine, you have the divine institution of government that just begins to show and it will expand throughout the scriptures. But you see this, and the government is there to create order and to counter chaos. The first glimpse of government is given to Noah in Genesis 6, 6. God says to Noah, so, so he, he wipes the earth with the flood because of all the wickedness and that every intention of man's heart was evil all the time. So he's like, all right, no more. Noah, get your family, we're going on a ride. They land and he says to him, because he knows that sin is still in the seed, it's, it's still within Noah. Noah gets off the boat and gets drunk for crying out loud. He's like, okay, hey, if anyone sheds the blood of a man by that man, his blood will be shed for they were created, man was created in the image of God. It's, it's talionic justice. Like if you kill someone, you are going to be killed. There will be justice. And so God gives Noah this, this order via government to say, you're gonna, you're gonna push back chaos. There was a lot of murder before, beginning with Cain. We're not doing that anymore. And so if someone does that, you now have governmental authority to take their life because that is going to push back the chaos and bring order to this. It still continues on to this day. So you see governmental authority through like Artaxerxes, Cyrus, uh, throughout the scriptures, Nebuchadnezzar. And then you've got Nero, like Peter writes under Nero. Nero who lamplit Rome with burning Christians impaled on stakes. Nero who also had Peter executed. He wrote and said, be subject to the governing authorities and to be good unto them. But here you've got Romans, Paul writing, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse four, for he, the governing authority, is God's servant for your good. It's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so government, God has given us as a divine institution, one, another 
of these that we can come for under the protection as we're made for relationship. He's given it for order to push back the chaos. He's given it for the establishment of laws that you see throughout the scriptures. He's given it that we would have judges who can discern between right and wrong according to those laws. And he's given it as a system of justice that when there is evil, the evil can be placed under a justice system from the judicial one. And so it's a good thing, this thing that God has given us, government. Now, that it's unique timing right now where we are in the series, Made for Relationship, because we have voting coming up on November 8th. Maybe you've already early voted, but voting's coming on no- November 8th. And uh, this is like something that would be entirely foreign to the biblical writers. Like, like wait, hold up. We, we were, I was under Nebuchadnezzar, and they like changed my name and made me do crazy things. They wanted us to worship this idol. You're telling me you get to vote for the person that you want to lead your city, your state, and your nation? You get to choose? My goodness, what an incredible privilege. And yet sometimes I think we can be marked by passivity of like, uh, kind of fatalistic, like, man, it's already run its course. Or the majority is gonna vote them in anyway. So why bother? And I'm, want to tell you today that passivity is an activity. To do nothing is, in fact, to do something. Because you've been entrusted with a vote as a U.S. citizen, which is an incredible privilege. But the privilege has a purpose, and it's found in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, but seek the welfare, and the Hebrew word there in Jeremiah is shalom. Shalom is a word that we, we will encapsulate as peace, but when you expand it out, it's, it's the wholeness and wellness, body, mind, and soul. The shalom, the overall overriding peace of the city where you live, or the state, or the nation, where I've sent you into exile. Some of us can get really discouraged about where we live. And it's like, hey, you, you're an alien and a stranger and a sojourner, says Hebrews 11. So of course it's broken. Like, this is the kingdom of man. We will one day be in the kingdom of God. Like, this is the broken version. Like, you're in exile. You're not gonna be here forever. This home is not home. But while you're here in exile, seek the peace, the shalom of the city, state, and nation. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. You know, we miss that a lot, right? Paul writes to Timothy and he says, pray for kings and those in authority. And we have a sin of omission. I think we grumble a lot more about our elected officials than we do pray for them. I know that that's the case for me. Like I, I don't pray for Biden as often as I should or Abbott as often as I should or Mayor Johnson as often as I should. And, and that's, just, that's sin because I'm commanded to. So it says, seek the welfare of the city and pray. And in doing so, for in its welfare, its shalom, you will find your shalom. He's like, when you seek the shalom of the city and pray for the shalom of the city, you're gonna find shalom because you live in the city. And in the government that you're praying for and seeking for and voting for is gonna bring about order. And when that order is aligned biblically, it's gonna be a good thing. And so we need to vote according to biblical principles. Like that should be the word of God, which is an errant and eternal and he has laid out righteousness and unrighteousness, this should be forming how we cast our vote. Now, unfortunately, 
We don't get to vote a la carte. I wish it was the case. I wish we could be like, hey, I'd like to vote this way for the economy, this way for immigration, this way for international policy. I'd like to vote this way uh, for the poor, this way for single moms, this way for education, this way for life, but we don't. These days we're, we're voting for a person or a person and those people have platforms and policies. And so it's important that we understand how our vote is going to affect the city, state, and nation that we live in. And so what I would offer for you today is that if you cast a vote and your, the policy that that person has is like 99% on lock, it's like, man, it's good, lines up with the Bible, and for example, in one area, say they, land, they lead pro-choice, and you cast the vote for that person, then in reality, your vote, you're voting for the realization and legalization of the killing of children. Even if it's just one aspect of their entire platform and you agree with the others, but you're like, but I, I don't land there, but I like everything else. Then as you cast that vote, you are voting for the killing of children. And the literal blood will figuratively be on your hands. Now I know that with a population this large, there are people in the room that have had an abortion or funded an abortion. And I want you to know that the Lord loves you so much and there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the pain or maybe shame that you might feel right now, the reason why I'm talking about voting specifically in regards to life is because we don't want that to fall upon any other individual ever. And God commands, thou shalt not murder. In Romans 1.32 it says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval or give votes to those who practice them. And so there's an awareness of it, but when we start to approve of it or endorse it or support it or vote for it, then we're taking part in it. Now, some might say, I had this conversation once, uh, one person was pro-choice and the other was pro-life. And the pro-life person, I, I was talking to the individual and they're like, but I, I understand, I'm, I don't want abortion, but there's no way I can vote for this individual. Like, I just can't stand how they treat X, Y, or Z. And I was like, well, then I think your biblical option is to abstain, abstain from voting or third party that's not trying to legislate sin or perhaps to even consider running for office. That would be an alternative. Can you imagine if someone here or another church here in Dallas was like, you know what? I don't feel like I have two good candidates to choose from. I think the Lord may be calling me to run, that I would legislate and enact and lead in a way that aligns with God's word and I would never seek to legislate sin. That could be an incredible thing. But I'm encouraging you to vote because on November 8th, we will be able to vote in a way the biblical authors never had the opportunity. And you should make plans now. It's on a Tuesday. Schools are gonna be canceled, so you need to figure out what to do with your kids. Talk to your employer, talk to your spouse, and find a way to go and vote. Incredible privilege. And vote according to order. Vote in a way that will bring about order for our city, state, and nation, the shalom and in it, we'll find our shalom. Now, we're also out to transform platforms, not just to like 
We don't mold or conform ourselves to the platform, but rather we should be transforming those. It's not just like A or B, but rather we should influence those or support people who have one that we can support with full integrity. And then the last thing, and this is very important, is that it matters who you vote for, but it also matters how you treat those who vote differently than you. So you don't get to just like tear out 1 Corinthians 13 in election season and be like, well, so much for love right now. I'm just gonna hammer them with truth because they land in a different place. Love still applies. And it says in my version, even if you vote according to the Bible, but you have not love, you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. We have to love others, especially when they land in a different place. 2 Timothy 2.24, says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So family is to provide love to counter loneliness. Government is to provide order to counter chaos. And then we have the church, which is to provide growth and to counter immaturity. The church to create growth. Now there's much you can say about the church, but our context today is made for relationship. And we're gonna talk about how relationships foster the growth that God wants for us. We talked last week in Hebrews 13, how the elders keep watch over our souls. And now here in Ephesians chapter four, you have that as they keep watch over our souls, we are to be grown up in Christ so that we're not stunted or immature in our growth. Here it is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, listen, to mature manhood, to mature personhood. There's a maturation that's supposed to be happening as we are with, he's talking to the church, the body of Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so here, one of the ways that we make a big church feel small, because you can pull into the parking lot and even been in this auditorium, you're like, are you kidding me, man? Like, nobody even knows my name here. Like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna grow in maturity here? Well, you're gonna be fed the word here by the Spirit, and then to get into a smaller group. Like, and it's not, it's not a this church problem. Like, even if it was a church of 300, you can't live out all the one another's of scriptures with 300 people. And so God has given us the gift of community where we can live in a smaller setting together and walk life through life. We call it community. It makes a big church feel small. In our house, um, so three kids. Laura, uh, she's, she's, she's got a little hippie in her. Like she's, she'll go homeopathic, kind of, you know, more traditional Eastern. She's of the Hippocrat, what is it, Hippocratic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that guy's name? Hippocro, hip, he, that guy. He said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. So old dude who saw that he could do holistic medicine, well, she's of that ilk. And so our kids, she gets this stuff. I don't even know what it is. It's liquid. She puts it in a little one ounce containers for each one of the kids. Like Elmore kids do shots in the morning. There's, there's a sound bite for you. But the stuff, because it's like herbal and I mean, it's bitter. And so she will cut the, the mixture. You know I'm an alcoholic if I'm using the word cut with drinks. She'll cut it with lemonade. So our kids, because if they don't, otherwise they're like, ah, and they choke it down, gag reflex. But they make it with lemonade, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, they'll take it. Because there is, there is truth and there is love. There is hard and there is good. And so she mixes it up. Why is she giving our kids these crazy vitamins? Because she wants them to grow. She doesn't want them to be three foot tall 
the rest of their lives. She wants them to grow. She wants to nourish them and feed them. And in the same way, some of you are like, community, oh, it's such a requirement. You're like, see it like the bitter medicine. It's like, well, if you've envisioned it that way, that's how it's gonna taste every time. But you can add some spiritual lemonade and make it amazing. And so let me tell you about, let me tell you about our community because it's the one that I, I know. It's not because it's best, but I think it's good. I love it. I look forward to it. We have it this week on Thursday night. And already Laura's kind of giving me the rundown of, of this week's agenda. And I'm like, oh, community? It's not like, oh man, what a whip. I wish I could watch the game. It's like, oh, that's great. Who's hosting? Who's hosting matters because there's always food and it's always good. So there's always a charcuterie board. And you guys are like, have you never heard of COVID? Y'all eat off the same plate? We do. So it's like sliced meats, amazing cheeses. There's usually a bowl of honey in the middle where you can dip meat and cheese. If you've never done that, you might be in sin. There's uh, olives and grapes. It's kind of, I mean, it's amazing. So everybody comes together and we're all feasting, catching up and celebrating one time, true story. We had uh, unpitted olives and I'm just like, I love salty, some eat olives and discarding the pits in the bowl. Mike Frizzell comes in late from a, coaching a soccer team, walks over to the charcuterie board, grabs some nuts, pops them in his mouth. He's like, what are these? I was like, oh, those are my olive pits. <laughs> chewing on my pits. <laughs> oh, community, it's hard but good. So, and then if it's somebody's birthday, it was someone's birthday last week, and so Mar Marisa Frizzell in our community group, she's like nurse practitioner by trade, but missed calling as a baker. She makes this chocolate cake. She rolls in because it's somebody's birthday. Uh, and not only do we get to have that, which is just sick, it's so good, um, we also just flood the person, Mike in this case, with words of encouragement. So we're like, man, brother, you are faithful. You are present. Like we're just washing words over him. Then we're not like, okay, let's get to the community curriculum. What page are we on? Then we go to the, the living room and uh, we sing worship. And you're like, well, of course you do. You have three professional worship artists who lead, are in your group. I want you to know that before we had any worship leaders in our community group, uh, and generally no one could sing. I bought some used hymnals on eBay. And we just open it up and be like, all right, hey, turn to 323. We're gonna sing Rock of Ages. We're gonna sing Come Thy Fount. We're gonna sing Praise to the Lord. And it was humbling, right? To like sing, no music, nothing. But you're singing hymns, but it was holy. And then we will just spend time in prayer. Like we're, it's not a mechanical thing. We're just singing and then somebody will start praying. Somebody will read a scripture. And you know what that does for the temperature of our community group? Then when we get to start sharing about our struggles and pressures and difficulties, it's so much better because we have set our hearts and minds on Jesus. There's been hospitality and fellowship. Then there's been worship and prayer. So nobody's like coming at each other in our community group because we've, we've just sung to the Lord, keenly aware of our Savior, needed by our sin, and now we're gonna shepherd each other. And so couples will share and then we'll pray over them. And it's not like, Dear Lord, help the Elmores this week, amen. Like people are listening like, all right, hey, we're, we're gonna pray for your brother. We're gonna pray for your daughter. Um, whether or not you should, God would give you wisdom in this situation for that, for loss of a parent, um, for the mental health struggle, like all the things. And we're praying very specifically, which is a gift, right? Like he tells us in Colossians 4, pray and watch and then give thanks. Well, why is he telling us to watch? Because he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. 
But if you're just like, Lord, bless Texas. Like, I don't know. Did you? I don't know. Did you? I don't know. Maybe. But as you pray specifics, you see the Lord moving. And you're like, oh, oh, he did. And prayer works. Like, God works according to the prayers of his people. And so there's, there's prayers over all of us. And then we'll break up, not in those evenings, but then we'll have our guys and girl times as well. And in those, we walk through the community group three questions. It's how have you fed your soul? How have you fed the flesh? And how have you fed others? How have you fed your soul? That embodies the first two community values of devote daily and pursue relationally. So we'll come together and be like, man, this is what I'm, I read in the word. Like, can you believe that? Has that always been there? Or this is the worship song. Have you guys, have you guys heard this? Worthy of it all? Or um, this podcast that I just discovered? Or somebody's got a new book that they're reading. And so we're, we're letting each other know, hey, this is what the Lord's been giving to me. And then we're feeding each other with this mutual encouragement. Transformed by Christ to love like Christ. Then secondly, how have you fed your flesh? And that's not like, all right, come on, air out your sin. What'd you do? It's for the purpose of healing. If you want healing in your life from sin, God's answer to that is to confess. You know this, right? If you want to be forgiven, confess to Jesus. You want to be healed, confess to brothers and sisters. And so here, this is live authentically and admonish faithfully. Those are the two values, but it's James 5.16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When we confess and we pray, God rains down healing. And then thirdly, how have you fed others? This is for counsel biblically and engage missionally so that we are not just like, we're not spiritual narcissists feasting at the trough of spirituality, but that we would look up and exercise our gifts to reach others who frankly are not under the covering of the church, who have no community, who haven't experienced what Larry experienced, like, man, I've been looking for this all my life, that we would go and engage others in the name of Christ and be like, man, would you come to church with me on Sunday? Would you come to the porch? You wanna go to regeneration? I know you're struggling, I'll go with you. Hey, would you like to jump into our community group? Ask the rest of the group before you do that. So I got these, I got these uh, dow rods here. And just like Ben, one of our elders, read earlier this morning, like when it's just you, it's like woe to the man who is alone because when the pressures of life and the stress and the financial strain and the temptation would break, we're not made to be alone. But you put some community around you and you take that and then you got the financial strain and the stress. And you're like, it's because you're not strong. <laughs> it's true. Like, it's not breaking because it has others. And this is what the Lord says in Ephesians 4. That's the gift of the body of Christ, that we would be grown up in Christ as we are together. In the Bible, there's no like me and Jesus. It's you and the body of Christ who is the head Jesus. Laura, when speaking of her cancer journey last year, and she's good, uh, she said, I, I don't want anyone ever to have to walk through what I walked through with surgery and radiation and all that, anti-cancer meds. But I wish everyone could experience the body of Christ coming around and supporting and texting and loving. That's the gift of community. And so two things I wanna share with you now is that if you're not a member, like if you just attend here, I mean, that, 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 that's good. It can just be better because you're leaving this roof of protection 
the other six days of the week when really you could be under this roof seven, 365 by becoming a member and having our elders keep watch over your soul. And so our next membership class is November 13th. We can be like, you know what? The scriptures say that I'm to be a member of a church. That's Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5. I'm gonna join. And you can join any biblical, God-fearing, Christ-exalting church. Like we're not, we don't get commission. So, but join a church. And if it's this church, join a community group. And you're like, well, I don't know how. Well, here's how. Here's three ways. One, you can just get a group of friends. There were some here in the first service and they're like, yeah, we just met each other and we want a community. So we decided let's do this together. You can form your own organic community group and just let the church know this is our group. Here's who's gonna be leading. Secondly, if you know of an existing group, you could be like, hey man, could you do plus one? Could you, me and my wife, like, could we jump in with you guys? That's the thing. You can do that. There's no rules there. And then thirdly, you could go to formation. Formation's happening well, next weekend, it already happened this morning, but you can go to the East Tower, 9 to 10.30, next weekend, and find community. In case you're like, man, I want that. I want the charcuterie board. I want the hymnals. I want that chocolate cake. You can have it. You just gotta make it. It's like that cake. You, you know, we didn't buy that from the store. She, she made that. A lot of effort went into that. In case you're like, well, my community group's not like that. Like, I don't... Mine's not like we described, that would be nice. Well, nobody said like, thou shalt have a charcuterie board and, and eat cake and sing songs. It was like, what do we want it to be? We want it to be encouraging and refreshing to your soul. And so we shaped it, we're still shaping it. People eat pitted olives, it's terrible. So we gotta shape that thing, but you can. Make it your own and make it the Lord. So God has given us family, government, and church, these divine institutions because we're made in relationship. But but you know why this thing actually holds together? It's because of the middle piece. If you're in construction, you know that this is actually the strongest truss for a roof. It's called a king truss. It's called a king truss because this middle beam actually supports and holds together all of the weight. This has the maximum load bearing because of this middle post. I take out that middle post and all of a sudden it's not as strong. But there is a strength in a relationship of Jesus. In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is the one who makes every other relationship work. And this in construction is called the king post. The king post that holds all other pieces together and gives it its strength. And in the same way, Jesus, your king, gives you the strength to endure everything else that comes against you and supports every divine institution. And let me tell you, there was a king on a post in Jerusalem for you. 2,000 years ago, Christ your brother took on humanity, became man, lived a sinless life. And this king's post was nailed here by three nails. But it wasn't three nails that held Jesus to the cross, it was God's will your sin and his love. That is what held Jesus to the cross, that king's post in Jerusalem. But you go to Jerusalem right now, you will not find the king's post because the post and all of its sin is gone. But there still remains an empty tomb. That tomb is there and it is empty because Christ has risen again. 
And here we are, and for those of you who have trusted in Christ, you've got the strength of Jesus. But there's many others who are out there who don't have the relationship. They're not under the roof of God. And so we gotta go out and tell them there is a home for you. There's a family for you of love, order, and growth found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, our redemption, our salvation is in His blood. Stand with me now and sing praise to your risen King.